Good morning. It's my joy this morning to introduce to you a new family. Uh, that seems to be almost every week occurrence these days, and that's okay. Uh, their picture is on the screen, and they're seated toward the back. Y'all mind standing where you are, giving us a wave? Let me tell you about Max and Brooke Morrison and their little one, Abner. And her mom and dad are visiting in town this, uh, uh, this weekend, too. They both grew up in Air Force families, uh, met in high school. They graduated, both graduated from Virginia Tech. Uh, before Abner was born, Brooke taught high school English. Max works for a think tank, and since he's able now to work remotely, uh, they have moved to Columbia. Uh, and part of that is to be near family. He's got family uh, in the Nashville area and also Memphis, and her folks live in Montgomery, so they've got folks in Tennessee and Alabama, and we're glad that now Columbia is their home. So get to know Max and Brooke. You're going to uh, enjoy uh, knowing this couple, and we're grateful that y'all are now part of our, our church family. Um, we're in Joshua chapter 5. If you're visiting today, there's an outline on the back of the bulletin if you want to follow along. You know, insurance uh, is something that we all need. Maybe we begrudge paying for, but when you need it, you're so glad to have it. Uh, look at the screen and see if you remember this commercial. When you're vulnerable. I think it's a good depiction showing that charging rhino and that little girl who is just so calm and not bothered at all. I think it helps us to understand their tagline there, trust is not being afraid even when you're vulnerable. This morning I want us to see how the people of Israel became extremely vulnerable. In our study of the book of Joshua this fall, we have seen the children of Israel go from wandering in the wilderness to entering the land of promise. God miraculously provided a way for them to cross the Jordan River at flood stage. And last week, we studied how they erected the stone memorial to help them to remember that God was with them, to help them teach their children that God was with them, and to help them share with the whole world that God was with them. So let's begin our study by reading Joshua chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. So God's people had not just crossed the river, they had crossed into enemy territory. They are strategically positioned just outside Jericho, just a few miles away. And so now is the time to make a move. I mean, the momentum is on their side. I mean, everything is going in their way. Verse 1 says the enemies, their hearts melted. There was no longer any spirit in them. Victory was theirs to claim. It was imminent. It was like right there. And yet God had a different plan in mind. Let's keep reading verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on their way after they came out of Egypt. 
Though all the people who had came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey." Verse 7, so it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. Called the lesson today, On Your Mark, because if I had titled it Circumcision and you'd looked online at the bulletin, I can only imagine how you'd responded to that, especially the men. We'd have more men signing up to keep the nursery today, you know, or inventing some kind of parking lot duty to go and see how much rainfall we've got, or maybe telling your wife, let's go visit your wonderful sweet parents this weekend, you know, to try to not be here to talk about this lesson. And when it comes to talking about this lesson, I will tell you, I would love to just skip right over this as well. But for us to fully appreciate what is going on here in chapter 5, it's much more than just about circumcision. We need to understand the background here. Jericho and all of Canaan is very much aware of what's been happening to the Israelites going all the way back 40 years ago, the crossing of the Red Sea. Remember Rahab mentioning that to the spies? They knew that 40 years ago. But that story is still on their minds. And now they know about the two kings, the two Amorite kings being defeated. Now they know about the crossing of the Jordan River. In a very supernatural way, the closer and closer and closer they are to the people. And Jericho is so aware, they're on full lockdown mode. Now, yes, it's a fortified city. And they closed the gates. There's no coming in or out. They knew. They knew it was only a matter of time until they would be defeated. Remember how the chapter opens there. Their hearts were melting in fear, the Bible says. And so here's the Israelites just a few miles from Jericho. And this would be the ideal time to march, to take the city. I mean, this would have been the ideal moment. If you want to win any kind of, you know, a sales or a physical challenge or, or, a, or a sport, you know, like on a, on a game, when the momentum is in your favor, you don't rest on your heels. You go, you march, you take advantage of that. So what does God do? God commands all the males to be circumcised. Why? Why now? Now, I don't want to make circumcision into something it's not. It is not open-heart surgery. But nor do I want to give the impression that it's no big deal. Some of the strongest men can become some of the biggest babies when they become sick. Do you know that to be true? Look at this meme. I, I looked for several, and I thought this kind of depicts a woman with a cold and a man with a cold. Does that, does that illustrate your house? You are welcome to elbow, punch, point, fingers, whatever you want to do at this point. But men and women are different. But here's the fact. Here's what we all need to know about this. For at least three days, 
For at least three days, the Israelite men would have been totally disabled. Now, some of you women are thinking, of course you said that. You're a man. That's why I said that. Well, let me share you what happened in Genesis chapter 34. And this kind of story helps us to see what's going on here. Jacob had 12 sons. We all know that. But he also had one daughter named Dinah. And there's a tragic story there in Genesis 34 how Dinah was violated by the son of the king of Shechem. And, and, and he wanted to marry her. So they meet with Jacob and try to arrange this to happen. And they suggest that their people intermarry and become one people and basically say, we'll do whatever you want to make this happen. They so wanted this to happen. So Dinah's brothers jump in and say, we cannot permit our sister to marry these uncircumcised men. And so they commanded not only that man to be circumcised, but all of the people in that Gentile city of Shechem to be circumcised. Amazingly, the king agreed. In fact, as the story is told there, the Bible says the son did not delay because he's so delighted in Dinah. He really wanted this to happen. But if you know the story in Genesis 34, it was a trick, an awful trick. Look on the screen, verse 24. And all who went out of the gate of the city listened to Hamer and his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised, and all who went out of the gate of the city. And on the third day, when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. Here's what I want to make sure we get. Three days later, these men are still so incapacitated that two men kill all the males of the city. That's what we're talking about here. Now, that's all I'm going to talk about, the nature of circumcision. If you want to know more, we have a lot of doctors in this church, and you're welcome to ask them, and they can tell you to go ask your own general practitioner. How about that? But back to Joshua chapter 5, because we need to understand how the timing of this seems contrary to any kind of usual approach to war and taking of the land. Here they are in enemy territory, and the first order of business is for the whole army to have this procedure and to be incapacitated for days. How does this make sense? Why is this timing? The point is they could not have made themselves more vulnerable. How many opportunities were there to do this before they crossed the river? But here they are in enemy territory, just miles from Jericho. The people of Jericho could have easily returned. What happened in Genesis 34 came in and knocked them all out. And they would have been helpless. So why does God have them to do this right then when the momentum is in their favor? When everything seems to be saying, march, go, make this happen. Well, to understand that, I think we need to go back and just review and understand what this means to be circumcised. God introduced circumcision for his people with Abraham. It was a part of the sign of the covenant. And this was to happen throughout the generations, a divine seal, a testament of faith. So the little Jewish boys on day eight would be circumcised. Look at Genesis 17, verses 9 through 11. God said to Abraham, as for you... You shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. 
So a bold action with a significant meaning. In essence, God was telling Abraham and all of his people that would follow, this mark, this marks us as a people. You are God's child. You are God's people. God is receiving you as his own. We believe, God, in your promises. This is what this covenant means. But for some reason, as important as circumcision was to God and his people for all these years, even during slavery, when it came time to wandering in the wilderness, it stopped. Now, we don't know why. The text doesn't give us a lot of details there. Commentaries will, will speculate about that. But the fact is, for 40 years, this was not happening. But if these people were going to be God's people, finally getting into this land of promise, they needed to keep his covenant. And this sign, this mark of the covenant, was circumcision. So they needed to fulfill that command. Basically saying to themselves, to God, and to everyone else, I belong to God. Circumcision was God's way of reminding them of their covenant with him. The fact that God would stop this whole movement, this whole taking of the land, to have this obey this covenant and this act of faith tells us something. So this is when you need to ask the question, why? So what? What's going on here? Well, there's two points I want us to get in this study. If you want the abundant life that Christ has promised, there's two things that we need to grasp. The first is this. The consecration of our lives is directly related to the possessing of the abundant life Jesus promised. Think about that. The consecration of our lives is directly related to possessing the abundant life Jesus promised. Because if we were preparing to take a land, if we were going to defeat these armies, you would do everything you could to keep your people in top shape, to make sure your army had the best diet, eating the right food, adequate sleep. You would avoid anything that would compromise their ability to fight effectively. Yet God does just the opposite. I put this on the screen. God has very little concern with how ready their bodies would be. God is very concerned with how strong their hearts would be. And if grown men were undergoing circumcision, making themselves that vulnerable, then that tells you they were submitted to God. They were trusting God. And that's exactly what's going on here. Their, their hearts and their bodies totally consecrated to God. They're now set apart for one purpose, and it's important for God's people to get this because if their hearts were not ready, it doesn't matter how fit they are or how many swords they have or if they're eating the right food or how rested they are. The biggest battle they were going to face was not the inhabitants of Canaan. God had already assured them a victory. The biggest battle was first in their own heart. Were they going to submit to God? Were they going to trust Him? Were they going to believe Him that He was going to fulfill all of His promises to give them the land? The biggest battle is over their own heart and soul and mind and strength. Was that not why when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest command? Remember His answer? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's always been true. 
It always boils down to that. So circumcision reminded them that my level of victory has everything to do with how much I am willing to consecrate my life, to submit my life to God. Now, let's get practical with this for a moment. Last week we talked about the stones that they were to erect as a memorial. And we talked about our time of communion is, is our memorial. It reminds us of, of Jesus dying for us, his flesh, and shedding his blood. It also reminds us of our commitment to him. He died for us. So we want to live for him. Because we understand it's only through the shed blood of Jesus that we have salvation. That we are consecrated. And we need to understand the connection between consecrating yourself to God and the blessing that's going to bring to your life. Let me give you an everyday example to help us understand this concept. In the case of sexual uh, rules, uh, relations, the consecration of your life before and during marriage has a lot to do with possessing the abundant life God wants you to experience. Now, our culture does not see it that way. You may not see it that way. You may be surrounded by family and friends who do not see it that way. God says sexual relations are between a husband and wife, period. God created us. God created us sexual beings. He knows what is best. But do you take him at his word to trust him in that. That's really what it boils down to. About 45 of us are studying the book of Hebrews. And this past week, we researched Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 20. Andrew talked about the rules of Leviticus, and I was thinking he didn't know my notes, but, uh, but that's exactly what we were studying. In Leviticus 20, it details all the ways a man or a woman are not to have sexual relations. And in that chapter, it says incest, adultery, homosexuality, bestiality, not acceptable. And if you remember when Jesus came on the scene and he was teaching, he affirmed what's always been true even in the Old Testament. It continues to be true. This is to be between a man and woman in marriage. But here's where faith comes in. Here's where faith comes in. The purpose of God's laws is not to limit mankind's enjoyment. It is to maximize it. Now, Satan is saying just the opposite, and we can easily believe just the opposite, but let me say that again. The purpose of God's law is not to limit mankind's enjoyment. It's to maximize it. The law is not to bind you or to restrain you. It's to protect you. It's to keep his design for mankind at its best. But ultimately, whatever your age Whatever your marital status, you have to decide if you believe God or not. Do you take him at his word? But this idea of consecrating yourself applies to every aspect of life. I mentioned sexuality because that just seems to be on everybody's mind. In fact, before I was studying the Torah in depth this past year, I, I often wondered, you know, why does the Bible just seem to harp on that one? But when I was reading through that, and I thought, it really is there because it's a perpetual problem. We never get past this. 
but it's more than just the idea of our sexuality. This idea of consecrating yourself. If you're a child of God, that's also how you love people. It's how you love your enemies. This idea of consecrating yourself, that means you're the one who, how often do you turn the other cheek? Do you go the second mile? This idea of consecrating yourself, that dictates how you forgive others. It dictates how you handle your money, how you manage your time. It dictates everything about, even the way you choose your entertainment, what you watch, what you're filling your minds with. God does not want his people to be miserable. Just the opposite. He wants us to have the abundant life. Weeks ago, I challenged you to read Deuteronomy 28. If you've not read that yet, go back and read Deuteronomy 28, where it's an amazing, the first 14 verses talks about, God says, I'm going to give you this, I'm going to give you this, I'm going to give you this. It's an amazing picture of how generous God wanted to be for his people. But there's a caveat. There's a condition. If you obey my commands. So the whole idea there, to the level that you are obeying God, you're in his will, the more he wants to give you of that best life. And neglecting, just the opposite of that, neglecting to live a consecrated life hinders you from enjoying what God wants to give you. It'll bring problems and suffering and challenges that could have been avoided. God is right. God is wise. God created us. And we will be blessed if we obey him. He'll not only spare me from so many avoidable troubles, he'll give me the better life, the abundant life that he wants us to have. That's why you consecrate yourself. Well, here's the second point I want us to get from this. As we consecrate our lives, God provides the security. Why don't you think about this with me for a moment? Let's be real. Anytime we do things God's way, think about this. Anytime we do things God's way, we're going to have to deal with feeling insecure. Isn't that true? Let me say that again. Anytime we do things God's way, we're going to have to deal with the feeling of insecure. Isn't that one of the reasons why we resist submitting to God? Because we're just not sure about that because there's a human part of us where we like control. We like to call the shots. We don't want to deal with insecurity. If I do this, if I do it God's way, how can I do it? How do I know it's going to work? Out? How, how? It's very insecure. So how do we deal with that? If you commit to being fully God's, if you commit to being fully God's, that means you relinquish control. From a human perspective, think about this. From a human perspective, everything about this circumcision seems to be off kilter. I don't know a better way to describe it than this. Why did their parents not do this while they were in the wilderness? We don't know the reason there. Why did they not do that? We don't know. Had their lack of faith continued? Were, were they so bitter against God that they were taking that out on their children and not helping them to continue to keep that covenant? Were they still rebelling till the day they died? And because their parents, now all the males have to be circumcised, circumcised, and for three days the whole 
fighting army is laid up incapacitated. And the timing, this happened right when they're camped just outside Jericho. None of this, from a human perspective, makes sense. Were they helpless? Yes, absolutely. But they were not without help. And here's what I want us to see. Look in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with this drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, are you, for, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he says, no, but I am a commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. We're going to talk more about this next week. And we're going to talk about them observing the Passover as well. But for now, notice this. Joshua was right beside Jericho when he encounters this commander. See, it wasn't just the army of God's people against the people of Jericho. There was something else. There was something more going on. There's another commander here who Joshua now sees, and he identifies himself as, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Did God not promise Joshua, be strong and courageous? for I will be with you. That was his promise, you remember? So the command of the Lord's army was there. Israel may not have been able to defend themselves, but that doesn't mean they were not defended. There was a whole other army there. To the physical eye, they were vulnerable, but in reality, there was the ultimate, we might say, secret service watching over them. Do you remember when Satan and God were talking about Job and trying to take Job out. And Job would not relent. And Satan came back to God and said, well, of course, because you've got that hedge around him. Do you remember that? Is there not a hedge here in Joshua chapter 5? Is that not what we're understanding here? I can't help but wonder, when they marched around the city, we're going to get to that, on that seventh day, and the walls fell, when those trumpets blew and those voices shouted, and the walls fell, was it the army of God making that happen that the naked eye could not see? God provides the way. The commander of the Lord's army was there. The way you and I deal with this feeling of vulnerability, wanting to obey God, yet knowing in a very human sense we may appear weak and we don't understand how it's going to work. We may sense our own helplessness and unprepared. We may even think that we're going to come across as naive to the world. That's true. But ultimately it's a matter of trust. It was for those people entering the land of promise, and it is for people today wanting to claim the life abundant. Does God have the power? Does God still have the power that as I submit to him, as I consecrate my life, as I obey him, that he's going to give me what I need? In reality, we're all being challenged daily to ignore God's way to do things the way the world says makes sense, to do things in our own gut that makes sense. 
But as you realize, when you stand with God, you secure your future. Let me share two verses on the screen that I think just help us to see where God is right here with us. Psalm 34, verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. And then look at Hebrews 1, verse 14. Talk about angels. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? I cannot explain how that works. But I believe with all my soul that that works. God is taking care of his people. I understand there is a divine security given to me that God's going to take care of me. That's why I don't fear death. That's why I don't fear circumstances. That's why we're not to fear. That's why we can walk by faith. And as you surrender, God gives you all the protection you need. Let me close with this. It's time to get on your mark. Well, how does he mark me? What does that mean for us today? In a word, baptism. What do you think about that? The Bible describes a spiritual circumcision that takes place in our own baptism. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. I want to make sure we understand why baptism is so important. There is some miraculous power being talked about here. Maybe you're thinking I was baptized, but not like that. Baptism is an amazing thing. And there are times where we think, well, maybe I, I might need to be baptized again. It mentions there in verse 12, buried with him in baptism. That's why we don't sprinkle. That's why we immerse. That's what baptism means. And that's what it talks about there. You were raised with him through faith. Through faith. That's why we baptize those who are old enough to believe, not babies. Just to clarify, just to make sense. Now, just because you study scripture and you understand more about baptism, that doesn't mean you have to be baptized again because most of the scriptures that are written about baptism were written to those who've already been baptized. So you continue to learn and you grow and you appreciate what baptism means. But the main thing here, I think God requires it and that we obey it. And if we've not been immersed as a believer, then yes, you need to do that. Baptism is a defining moment. It is for us what circumcision was under the covenant with Abraham and his people. You die to self. You're buried. And what he's talking about here, you believe God is going to bring you back to life. There's something that happens. F. Lagard Smith has a, a great book on, uh, about baptism. And he, the title of it, I think, is very telling. He says, Baptism, the Believer's Wedding Ceremony. The relationship begins before the ceremony, of course, but there's something about that wedding ceremony. That's when we, we made our vows. That's when the married life begins. And you look back and say, that was the moment. And baptism is that for, you know, it's a lot of things. There's a lot of imagery, imagery there. But you are marked forever as a child of God. That's why every Sunday 
when we teach whatever we're teaching about every Sunday before we dismiss our morning worship, we offer a time for you to be baptized. That's why we keep the water warm. That's why we keep the clothes and the towels ready. Of course, really any day, but especially when we're all together. So this morning, if you've not yet said yes to the Lord, confessed your faith, been baptized, been marked as His, you may have believed for years and years and years, but it's time to make it official. It's time to get your feet wet. It's time to be marked. Or if we can pray for you and your walk with the Lord in any way, won't you come as we stand and sing to encourage you? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you.